Monday, everyone. This is like my fourth time recording this intro, so I'm just going to try to say the least amount possible so that I don't stick my foot in my mouth. Um, I guess the one thing that I was just wanted to touch on was how wild it is that it's already January 30th, um, which means I'm 29 days sober and really close to that month mark, which is really exciting. And as I approach, you know, being one month sober and going into February, I just, one thing I'm thinking a lot about is how I have to just keep reminding myself that like it's one step at a time. And I know that's cliche and and I know that's, you know, kind of like what AA preaches. Um, but I think it is really important because like this first month has been very fun and like, I've been able to like explore different parts of myself and I've been able to say, you know, I just started becoming sober, but I feel like, you know, once you get into like the second month and the third month and the fourth month, then it's like like the honeymoon period, so to speak, wears off. And that's just something I'm ready to, to tackle, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, I don't have much else to say aside from really excited to share this episode with y'all. Chris is so amazing and so resilient and I think like one thing that we talk about which really resonated with me was he said something because he's a he's a sober coach and works with people to help you know help them make their best lives and he said he just didn't feel like he could be a he could help people live their best lives if he wasn't living his best life and that really resonated with me, especially as someone who's like heading into the mental health professional field. And it did seem kind of almost like silly to me being like, how can I help people overcome, you know, their biggest obstacles in life while blacking out on the weekends? Like there's just something that doesn't add up. And so that's another thing that I just not only resonated with me, but I think is going to like stay true or like stick with me as I continue this journey to become a therapist. Anyways, um, before I say anything dumb, I'm going to close this off and yeah, enjoy the episode with Chris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace and the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Chris Shattuck, who is a sober coach helping high-functioning drinkers change their relationship with alcohol. Chris, thank you so much for coming on so last minute and just being so flexible and um, for, yeah, being my first male guest on this Solace and Sobriety season. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Uh, So why don't we just start off? With a little bit of background information, um, where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? What do you do for work? What's your story? Yeah, so I live in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, born and raised here. Um, I just turned 40 recently. Um, and, you know, I grew up, uh, my mom actually owned a bar. We, uh, my, my parents got divorced and my mom, for some reason, decided to own a bar when we were 10. And so we literally lived above it. And so I kind of grew up around drinking quite a bit. Um, and I would DJ in the bar and stuff like that on the weekend. So I was kind of, you know, always a, a part of <laughs> the drunk culture. Um, and, you know, before becoming a sober coach, I worked in radio. I was a radio DJ for 22 years. I, that was like all I wanted to do when I was a little kid. Um, so I, I got into that. Uh, and did that for many years. We we moved down, my wife and I moved down to Miami for a few years, uh, took a, a radio job down there. And then we had our daughter. So we decided to move back to Minnesota. Although now that we've been back for a few winters, we're like, oh, why did we do this again? <laughs> yeah, it's so cold. It's so dark. It's cloudy. I haven't seen the sun in like, I don't know, a week. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's a great place to live. And so, yeah, it's me and my wife, Ashley, my daughter, Myla, who's five now. And, um, you know, I guess uh, part of why I was drinking so much was because I, you know, I was in radio 
and I wasn't really enjoying it anymore. I kind of lost my passion for it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. I wasn't really like doing anything, but I was, I was in the comfort zone, right? Cause I had done it for so long. So I just was kind of like, mm. I wasn't connected with what I was doing. And so that's kind of what led me uh, eventually into becoming a sober coach. That's so interesting. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but I think it's it's interesting that you grew up in the Midwest just from my, maybe it's stereotyping or, you know, what I see on like TV, but I it seems like there is like a heavy drinking culture there. Just maybe it's because of the cold or... Uh, Not much else to do here. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously Miami is a whole other world. Um, so that that's really interesting to hear that information and maybe like how it seeped into your own story yeah there's they literally call minnesota the land because it's like the land of ten thousand lakes they call it the land of ten thousand rehabs because there are a bunch of rehabs here and it's a way of life i mean you know it's what people do uh, it's, it's been ingrained into our culture here in the midwest like well we go to uh we go to meat raffles and we <laughs> we go to you know and drink at the bar you know and mm -hmm. uh so yeah it's definitely a cultural thing but i've also realized like no matter where you are, drinking is a big part of, of society. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. our society really glamorizes it. So is that where the Mayo Clinic is in Minnesota? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's in Rochester, which is about an hour south of where I am. Yep. Got it. Got it. So before we dive into a day in your life as a sober coach and before I tap into all of the knowledge you have around the benefits of an alcohol free lifestyle, um, I'd love to kind of go back and learn a little bit more about you were touching on previously regarding your, you know, personal journey to sobriety. So you mentioned, you know, that you started drinking, um, like when you were unhappy with your job as a, uh, radio host and, you know, your, your website highlights that you overcame 15 year, ha uh, 15 years of excessive drinking. So, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, what that, previous life of yours entailed and how you arrived at the decision to cut alcohol out of your life. Yeah. So, you know, I think you could probably say it started um, when my, both of my parents died when I was 19 and they, they died 41 days apart from each other. They were super young. Uh, it was really, really devastating. You know, I, cause I wasn't in high school, I wasn't a big drinker. I didn't, you know, I'd go to parties, but I wasn't really like into the alcohol. Even into my early 20s, I really wasn't a big drinker. But losing my parents, I felt kind of lost. Um, and so I, I was just kind of like out there and started drinking more and more, you know, because I, I used to just go out and drink, uh, socialize, you know, at bars and stuff like that. And then one night I was really depressed and I'm like, I'm going to go buy a, a case of beer at the liquor store because I never had beer in my house before. And so I'm like, I did that. And that was kind of the moment I remember going, hmm, this is so I can just drink at home and get drunk. And this feels kind of kind of nice to just like tune out all the the stuff that's that's going on in my head. And I remember that moment kind of being like a, a turning point. But I really didn't start drinking heavily at that point. It was, you know, a couple of years later in my mid 20s. I had my dream job on the radio. I was working on a morning show in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I thought I was on top of the world and I got laid off and it had nothing to do with me, but it was just downsizing and that devastated me. I thought my whole world was over. You know, I was like 25, something like that. I worked my whole way up to get here and boom, like the, the rug was taken out from under me. That is really when I started drinking heavily and heavily more and more at home. And, you know, it just kind of progressed from there because even when I, I met my wife and we had our daughter, I still was finding myself drinking. You know, uh, by all accounts, my life looked pretty darn good. I had a job on the radio, making pretty good money, um, wife, uh, daughter, everything looked good, but I couldn't stay away from alcohol. Like I kept going back to it and I didn't know why. Um, and I can maybe get into that a little bit later, but it, it really does kind of tie back into I wasn't I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing. I wasn't feeling connected. Um, the radio thing had become my whole identity and I just really didn't like who I was. Couldn't, I couldn't stare at myself back in the mirror. And so I just, I lost trust with myself. And so I found myself continuing to drink more and more. Um, and so, you know, I finally was forced out of the radio industry, uh, by the universe. And I was, I took that as a sign to like, okay, I got to do something. Um, I actually was hired by Apple and, uh, was fired by Apple, had nothing to do with drinking, but 
looking back on it, that was actually the best thing to ever happen to me, getting fired by Apple. And I can get into that more, but that's where I really needed to pivot and go, all right, I'm I'm tired of living a life that's less than I know I can be. Because I knew that deep down I was meant to do more. I knew I was smart. I knew I was not using my brain fully. Like all this brain fog was just keeping me in this cycle. And I just got tired of it. I just had this moment where like, I'm done. And, you know, when I wanted to become a life coach, uh, and this is before I knew I was going to help people around the alcohol thing, but I just wanted to be a life guy. I wanted to help people with something. And I was like, I can't be a hypocrite and go home and get passed out drunk every night and then go tell people, hey, you know, live your life like this. So I just said, I'm just, I'm just going to be done. And so Father's Day of 2021 was the last day that I drank and haven't looked back. Wow. I mean, there's so much you said that I, I, I just have so many thoughts right now. First of all, I'm just... So sorry to hear about the loss of your parents, especially at such a young and, and, you know, formative age, like 19. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's like when I started college and and not only were you grieving two people in your life who, you know, raised you, but you're also then kind of transitioning into, as you said, like it's the first time you realize, oh, I can just buy a case of beer and have it in my house and you mm-hmm. know it's there's just that all of a sudden you go from having the accountability of your parents and you know wanting to kind of abide by their rules to having a little bit more freedom combined with that grief that you're still experiencing so I can't even imagine you know not only how hard that was probably but just also it's it's like uh you know, the perfect storm of all these things coming together. And it's very understandable that you kind of turn to alcohol as a way to be like, well, not only will this help me quote unquote cope, but it's now easy for me to obtain and keep without anyone monitoring me. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is before I went to the the alcohol, I actually had a, a gambling addiction. That's after my parents died. Um, I, I started gambling a lot and I, ba- I basically gambled their entire uh, inheritance away uh, because I was, I was a lost 19, 20 year old kid, uh, very confused. And uh, so yeah, before I started drinking, it was a gambling addiction Then I overcame that um, and got into the alcohol. It was, you know, it was like, I needed something to fill that void always. And, you know, I realize now um, that, I I used that not as a crutch, really, my parents passing, but but I kept like kind of using that as a story that I was telling myself over and over again, like, well, my life sucks because this happened to me. And, you know, now I realize like that's not a healthy way to go about it, like um, to keep hanging on to that story, like, woe is me, self-loathing. But that's what I was doing. And that's what kind of led me into the gambling, you know, smoking and then um, and then eventually drinking. Yeah. Wow. That's that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can, I mean, fortunately I'm, I'm very, you know, fortunate that I have both of my parents in my life. Um, but I can relate a lot to, and I know what you're saying. It's like weird to say out loud, but almost like using that grief as an excuse. Uh, like when I, I lost a really good friend to suicide, uh, my senior year of college and, I think the combination of just the the actual death, but also the mental ill like illness that I was experiencing at the time and, and refusing to address just led me to, you know, just like lean too much into that grief for too long and just say, well, mm-hmm. I I can and and kind of put off all the work I need to do it on myself because no, I was grieving. Like I was grieving. I couldn't focus on myself. I still needed to process this person's passing where, and the, the irony is that at that time more than ever, I needed to focus on myself and healing myself. And so only, you know, a couple years later, did I actually do the work and, and come out of some things I was dealing with back then um, and then kind of going off of what you said at the end of, you know, you, you became wanted to become a life coach, but felt like it would be a little hypocritical to be a life coach while you were kind of battling these inner demons. And I relate to that so much. I think 
obviously there's therapists out there that do drink and you know have a very healthy relationship with alcohol but I feel like there was always a part of me for context I'm in school to become a therapist which is why I bring this up Uh, but there was always a part of me being like I know I have this unhealthy relationship with alcohol I know I'm going to be going into a profession to help people with the unhealthy relationships they have with all different things in life how can I confidently look someone in the eye when I I know this like let's call it a defect that I have um and then I that I don't fully love myself and so my whole thing going into this was like I don't want to drink alcohol until I fully love myself and now I'm 20 days sober and I don't really just ever want to drink alcohol again, <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Yeah. But we can definitely get more into that. Well, so congratulations, I, by the way, on 20 days sober. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I yeah. guess it's 19, but, you know, today is the 20th, and yeah. I, I stopped on the first. So, And I'm sorry about your friend as well. I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because, yeah, it's, you know, losing somebody, the, the grief, the trauma that, that comes with something like that is so... So, I mean, it, it, it stings for a long time. Like I, I could still feel the pain. It's been 20, almost 21 years now since I lost my parents and that's still with you, you know, but, but at some point, you know, if we, if we let it kind of hold on to us, it's, it's clinging with us. And, you know, I just realized for me that that wasn't healthy. It wasn't getting me where I wanted to go. Um, and so I, I totally understand what you're saying though with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely almost a way to like you know honor their lives by living our best life and I certainly think that addressing the various mental health issues that I've had in the past and now this relation like reevaluating my relationship with alcohol is a a way that I can live my best life and thus carry on his legacy and um you know things I love about him yeah so yeah well, and that's that's one of the things like when I work with people, they're afraid that they don't they really don't want to deal with the negative emotions that are going to come up because that's you know, that's what the alcohol is doing. It's suppressing and it's pushing it down because it can be very difficult to to deal with those things that we've been avoiding or putting off or we don't want to pull up that thread because it's just too painful. Um, and so what I really want to make a point of is that is going to be a challenge right in the first early days of kind of going through getting over alcohol. But the only way to get rid of it is to go through it. And once you do, it's like being, you know, weight lifting off of your shoulders and you'll be so glad that you did because otherwise it's just swirling around in there. And that's where that unease, that anxiety and stress is, is coming from. So it can be uncomfortable, but once you get to the other side of it, it's really, really wonderful. Yeah. No, I, I've heard that a lot and read that a lot. And I feel very lucky that I've done a lot of work on myself beforehand because I think from what from talking to a few of previous guests, they said, you know, I I had never been to therapy before, and then I cut alcohol my life out of my life, and all of a sudden it was like, boom! I had to deal with all of these things I'd been ignoring, and I I have to say, like the one thing that I'm very proud of myself for is that I've I've been dealing with that shit for a while, so now it's it's I think that softened the blow of you know removing alcohol I think alcohol at this point was just making everything worse like these things that I was trying to make better and I'm like you know it's like that old saying of like a guy comes into a doctor's office and he's like it hurts every time I like hit myself in the head and it's like well stop hitting yourself in the head I think that's what alcohol (laughs) was to me it's like like oh I just get sad about these things that I've been working so hard to fix whenever I drink maybe just stop drinking so yeah that's the exact analogy I'm like I just got to the point where I'm like I keep banging my head against the wall and wondering why it hurts. Well, I got to mm-hmm. stop banging my head against the wall, you know? <laughs> exactly. So in 2023, I'm really trying to kind of amp up my health and fitness routine from a holistic perspective. And one of the ways I've been doing this is with Oro, which is an app providing a one-stop shop for different types of virtual fitness and wellness rituals. Um, I don't know if any of y'all are fans of the account Sweats in the City. Um, when I was living in New York, I practically, you know, it was practically like my Instagram Bible. And I just look up to Elizabeth and Dale so much as female entrepreneurs um, and just like what they've created. So Oro, if you don't know, was created by them. And so it has 
all of their favorite boutique fitness and self-care classes in one place. All videos are live, um, but they're also on demand, so you can watch it anytime uh, from anywhere. There's over 500 classes and instructors to to choose from, and they're all of my favorite types of classes like Pilates, bar, sculpt, um, and then more wellness things like meditation and sound baths. Yesterday, I did this amazing Pilates slash meditation class with Natasha and it was exactly what I needed. It's freezing outside and I didn't want to, you know, pay for a day pass at the gym. And so I'm just so glad that I have this app. And again, it's also really cheap. That is like the best part. I was paying for class pass previously and it's like, okay, you, you know, pay a certain amount of month for a certain amount of credits, but those credits don't don't get you very far, especially in like a place like New York. And so if you uh, download the app, it's only $19 a month, but you can get $5 off your first month and a free week trial by using the promo code Zoe Skur. So that's Zoe, Z-O-E-S-C-U-R, all one word, and you'll get, it'll be basically $14 for an unlimited amount of classes for a month and an extra free week. So highly encourage that you check it out. And if you have any questions, let me know. So I was reading a little bit on your website about your approach to coaching. And you stated that you don't believe people have to have a, quote, rock bottom before wanting to make a change. Uh, So I was hoping you could like elaborate a little bit on what you mean by this and then explain your approach to coaching coaching those who want to cut alcohol out of their lives and how it differs from say like an Alcoholics Anonymous or a rehab program. Yeah. You know, I, um, I think a lot of people are at that point where they go, well, I'm not that bad because I haven't had a DUI yet. Uh, I still have a job. I can still function. Um, and I'm not as bad as Steve down the street. That guy's a really big drunk. He's got a problem, but me, I seem to be okay. Even though they know internally that it's, it's making them feel awful. It's making their lives miserable. Um, And so I think a lot of people are waiting for that moment to, well, once I get to this point, then I'll do something about it. But that's a really dangerous way to do it. And, you know, having that mindset is is just, it's not a good mindset to have. Like what happens when you decide, okay, I'm going to do something about this before I need to, is that it's very empowering. And you get to make the choice that I'm going to change my life, not because my wife is telling me to, not because I got a DUI and, and I'm going to lose my job if I get to, but I'm making that decision for myself. And that's what I love. The clients that I work with, being able to empower them. And so the difference, you know, with AA and and what I do uh, in, in some aspects is that, you know, with AA, it's like we have to say I'm powerless to alcohol. You know, I, I'm, I don't believe in saying you're powerless to something because that is not a, a great way to, to handle something in, in your brain. You know, uh, it's just I believe that we do have the power to overcome alcohol addiction. Now, some people, you know, need AA or rehab and I'm not I'm not knocking it. Right. However, people decide they want to get sober or have an alcohol free life. I think it's wonderful because there's no one right approach to this. But for me, I did not like the approach of AA. It scared the hell out of me. I didn't want to go and to some church basement and raise my hand and say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. That's, I don't want to do that. And then go to meetings for the rest of my life and hear all these stories of dread and be attached and tethered to alcohol forever. No, no, no. I wanted to figure out why I was drinking, get to the root of the problem and move away from it and then just be done. And so that's what I, that's why I started this actually is because I didn't see an alternative. Uh, you know, AA has been around forever, almost 100 years now, and that's kind of the staple that people think about. Or rehab, which is incredibly expensive. You have to, you know, miss work. Everybody kind of has to know what you're doing. Um, and so what I do is I work with people over Zoom. I work with people all over the country, all over the world. Um, and, and you know, I help people not force them to stay away from alcohol, but to change their relationship with alcohol by changing the way that they view it, their perception of it, so that they don't they don't want to drink it. The desire goes away. That's that's an amazing superpower to have in a culture that loves alcohol and drinking. And I needed to do that. And then I also help them change their relationship with themselves, right? We got to get to the bottom of why are we drinking the way that we are? If we don't do that, we're not getting to the root. We're putting a Band-Aid on it. And, and then we're white knuckling through it. We can maybe stay away from alcohol for a while, but it feels like we're in a prison. 
And I've, I've done that so many times where I'm going to do dry January. I'm going to do sober October, but it felt like a prison the whole time. And I couldn't wait for day 31 when I could go back and have a drink again. So, you know, there's, there's more deep work that needs to be done uh, in that. I can relate to just so much of what you said. I mean, just going off of, you know, the first piece of like choosing stop drinking before you hit rock bottom before you quote unquote need to that's a choice whereas you know feeling like you've quote hit rock bottom you know gotten to a place where you have no other decision you feel powerless and um I can just share like a quick anecdote about my own decision which I've alluded to but haven't exactly told the whole story on this podcast basically I've been wanting to cut out alcohol for my life for a long time I I even looked and I had on my like sober app and saw that the first time I downloaded it was in January 2020 so it's been like three years that I've known there was this could lead to problems and I also did you know sober Octobers and was planning on doing a dry January and even though I had done those, I don't think there was ever a, an October where I actually didn't drink for 31 days. I don't think there was ever January where I did that. It was more of just like cutting back. And so I was definitely planning on doing a dry January this year and sticking to it. And then New Year's Eve happened and I went out with a bang. And after that, it, what was sad was that I felt like, oh, shit. This went from being my decision to something that I feel obligated to do because of what my parents and my sister and my friends witnessed. Whereas I wanted to go into January, you know, dry January doing that for myself. And so I felt really upset that the power almost had been taken away from me. But then as I, decided to actually just not do even do a dry January, but just cut alcohol out completely. I feel that making that decision and then also using my platform to learn about other people's experiences was a way of me like taking back that control and making it once again, my decision because I'm still trying to figure out, am I an alcoholic? It, you know, am I in recovery? What is, what is it? What is an alcoholic? Like, what defines it? Is it someone who wakes up every day and needs to have a drink or is it someone who just drinks too much on occasion and blacks out? Like I think there's just so much nuance that isn't discussed when it comes to sobriety. And that's really what I wanted to learn through this podcast and through having interviews with people like yourself. And in doing so, I feel like I've slowly but surely grabbed that power back and, and been thinking, you know, now it's not just about doing a dry January. It's not just about quitting alcohol for a year. It's about realizing that alcohol is a, a drug. Like you don't call, you know, people who you don't call people who like do cocaine on occasion, like moderate cocaine users, right. you know, yep. <laughs> but as like, and it's, and one thing that stuck out to me from um, quit by a woman by Holly Whitaker is that quote of like, alcohol or like al alcoholics are the only people who are considered to have a problem once they stop using a substance yeah and i was like, crazy shit like that's <laughs> wild you know it's not like someone uses heroin and only when they stop using heroin are they said to have a problem it's so yeah. just it's wild that we've normalized something that's so destructive and causes so many deaths and causes so many you know sexual assaults and all this stuff and yet we're still felt like we're the outsiders when we decide to cut that out of their, our lives. Yeah. It's insane. You know, uh, alcohol is the second most uh, addictive substance in the world, only behind heroin and heroin kills about 80,000 people every year. Alcohol kills over 3 million people every year. Uh, and not to mention the families and friends that are affected when those people die. And yet, you know, <clears throat> heroin is illegal. Alcohol is not only legal, but 
glamorized. And yeah, so when people suffer in silence, they think, well, we're the weird ones uh, because I can't control this. Well, no, you're drinking a highly addictive substance. It stands to reason you drink it long enough, you know, eventually some people are going to get hooked on it, right? That's that's its job. Um, and it's not like other drugs where, you know, you take heroin or something, you're pretty much hooked right away. Alcohol is a slow, insidious burn. And <clears throat> we're we're fine with it in our early 20s and 30s and stuff. And then at some point we get to, uh, it crosses a line where it's like, oh, we can't take this or leave it anymore. And so it's it's more deceptive and it's more dangerous. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because of the fact that everybody they know seems to be drinking. And, you know, it, it's just, that's why I like talking about this, getting the message out there more that, because there's so many people that are sitting and, and are struggling with this, but they don't want to talk about it because they think they're the only ones. But in reality, there's a lot of people that are struggling with this. Yeah, I guess in your in your view, how would you define sobriety? Do any of the people you coach, for example, is it an all or nothing black or white stopping drinking? Do any people come to you and say, I want to cut back? And if so, what are your views on like the restrictive mentality around alcohol drinking sometimes as opposed to this black or white? I'm either going to drink or I'm not going to drink. Mm -hmm. So I never tell my clients what to do or what not to do, right? Um, what I do have them do is commit to at least 30 days without alcohol when we start working together. Because the thought being that by the time they get to the end of the 30 days, with the mindset work that we've done with the tools and, and all this kind of stuff, that they see no reason to go back to it. Because it really is a poison. It's a toxin. It, it's very, there's nothing good about it. There's no benefit to it. Um, and so I try to explain that to people. And most people come to me, they want to be done. There are some people that go, yeah, I want to I want to cut back or question it. I won't work with everybody um, because if somebody just wants to cut back a little bit, it's it's pointless to kind of to, to work with me. Um, but again, there are some people like it's it's up to them, whatever they want to do. Um, my personal view, just going through it myself, is I've tried the moderation game. I've tried the mental gymnastics of. I'm just going to have a drink here or there, and it doesn't work for me. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink until I pass out. So it's just been a lot easier for me personally to just be a non-drinker. And mm. um, But most of my clients end up stopping drinking for good. You know, there, There's a handful of people that I've worked with that might still drink, um, but it's, it's, it's always cut way down from where it was. But the thing is, you're playing with fire. You know, uh, with alcohol, you could go years without it and you have one sip and your brain lights up like a Christmas tree and it thinks, oh, we're right back to where we are. And it's just so hard to kind of get back. Like the first like part of getting over alcohol addiction is this, the hardest part. And so I never want to go back to that. Um, and so, you know, for me, alcohol doesn't even hit my radar anymore. Like I don't I don't think about like I'm missing out. Or like, I, I wish I had it. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that, you know? And so that's, that's the goal that I try to work on with my clients to get to that point. Yeah. I love that you said that. And I completely agree. Like for me, moderation was never a possibility. I'm an all or nothing, all or nothing person when it comes to pretty much everything in my life. And so I see people in my life, like my, my dad and my sister who can, you know, go out, nurse a drink for the entire night and be completely fine with that. Yeah, those lucky bastards. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just not that person. I yeah, I cannot either. just have one <laughs> glass of wine. I need three. Yeah. And so for those who, and I, I learned this actually from a previous guest, that it's only 25% of um, Americans, like, never develop an addiction to anything which I think made me feel a little better that I was in the majority. Um, but it also, it, it makes sense. Like I think seeing my sister, seeing my dad, like those are the exception, not the rule. Because I think, especially given how much, you know, alcohol is in ingrained into our society, ingrained into being young and going out and dating and all of those different things. Yep. It's really hard to quit, especially when, if you, especially if you like, let's say you start drinking at 16, like it is an addictive substance. So like the more you drink over time, it, you're going to become addicted to it. Not necessarily, 
you know, it doesn't that whole notion of like it has to be biologically in your family is not right. true. Right. It's it, an addictive substance. So um, I I think you hit the nail on the head. And um, I'm not sure if you saw this article, but it was so serendipitous. I got a, like an email from New York Times saying like articles you might be interested in. And it's called Even a Little Alcohol Can Harm Your Health. And one of the things they talk about is, you know, that notion of like red wine is good for you. Oh, drinking yeah. moderate rounds of red wine. Yeah. And they combated that saying the reason that they're like that they can make that statement is because people who drink a small amount of red wine every so often probably have other healthy habits such as not binge drinking and going to, you know, the gym. So it's this, this is this notion that really perpetuated, um, especially the drinking culture for women, which I can, I want to go into in a little bit. Um, it's so interesting that just this article came across and, you know, that 60 minute program that came out in like the nineties, which said, Oh, red wine helps your heart is actually complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. The, the benefits that it has, like the antioxidants and stuff, you get the same from grape juice, right? So if you really wanted that, just drink some grape juice, but the, the alcohol and the other toxin, uh, toxic stuff that's in wine negates the good stuff that you get from it. And what's interesting is if you find studies that say, oh, alcohol is good for you, red wine is good for the heart, you dig far enough and you realize it's coming from the alcohol companies uh, mm -hmm. that, are, that are pushing this stuff out there. Uh, and it's there's a lot of myths about this kind of stuff. And yeah, so if you're listening going, yeah, but red wine is healthy, it's not. I mean, you're, you're not getting the health benefits that, that you think you are. And that's it's one of those things where all these lies that we believe from alcohol they're all lies and there's a book that i love by craig beck called alcohol lied to me and it's been i recommend everybody read that book because it's so interesting you know it has how alcohol is unrestricted marketing um and how if alcohol was invented today there's no way that it would be able to be put out on the market you know uh, but because it's been handed down from generation to generation it's just it's accepted and yeah there's a lot of lies but the, the thing that's like crazy to me is that all the things that we believe alcohol is providing for us, it's actually doing the opposite, right? Oh, it, I, I needed it to help me sleep, I used to say. It's bullshit. It doesn't help you sleep. It may help you fall asleep, but the sleep that you're getting is awful based mm -hmm. on it. Um, oh, it helps with anxiety and stress. No, you're, you're, that stress and anxiety is being caused because of the alcohol. And the only way to, to cure that anxiety that you're getting every day is to have another drink because we're in this loop. Um, you know, all these things that people believe they're drinking alcohol for, it's actually doing the opposite. And it's it's like I really encourage people to educate themselves on what alcohol really is, because once you kind of see the truth and the facts, it's hard to have those blinders on anymore like I used to have on, you know? Yep. Once you see something, you really can't unsee it. I Yeah. It, I've been also reading a ton of books, so definitely we'll add that to the list. Um, and spe speaking of books i just finished uh, quit like a woman by holly whitaker which was like one of the first books that was recommended to me and it tapped into a lot of the things that you said especially around like big alcohol companies how basically like they took the big tobacco marketing campaign and just you know switched the substance and um and then i learned a lot especially like because so far, most of my guests or all my guests aside from you have been women and um, and there the there was a lot of information about how big alcohol companies spend the most marketing, uh, the most time marketing to women and the majority of this expenditure are for wine because it's associated with like mommy wine culture, rosé all day and all the other bullshit they use to keep women drinking. Yeah, um, it's gross. It's really it's, gross if you if you look at it. Yeah like baby clothes that say like my mommy's having her like mommy juice or something like that. Yeah. And it's dangerous. It really is. I mean, it, most people think, ah, oh, it's just fun. It's not. I mean, if you look, if you look at how much they are targeting the moms and oh my God, a stressful mom got to have wine. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and you go to a place and you'll see all these funny signs about this and memes on social media, TV shows. That's what keeps people in this loop. Like they're like, oh God, yeah, this is, everybody's doing this thing. But yeah. it's so, yeah, I, I think that whole mommy wine culture is 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 gross. 
And yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> I just was thinking about the fact that, you know, there's yoga classes where it's like yoga and wine yeah. because both are associated with relaxing. And I'm like, just I'm imagining like Barry's boot camp being like, oh, you want a hit of cocaine before you like go on that treadmill? Like that would just never happen. Yeah. But it's yeah. crazy there's, how there's, normalized it's been. I just saw a Michelob Ultra commercial, which I used to drink, by the way. Um, and there's a woman that's like jogging and then she comes, she's done with her jog and she, or she meets her friend at the driveway. You know, they got yoga pants on and they're they're working out and she hands her a, a beer. It's like, really? Okay, so <laughs> you're going to work out and then just chug a beer? It's just so, it's so stupid. It really is. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, because I have only so far interviewed women and, and just having been a woman my whole life that's the only experience I have uh I'm wondering from your you know experience being a sober coach and I'm assuming you have male clients how do you believe the culture around drinking differs uh, between men and women well I mean you know if a guy stops drinking and he's got his drinking buddies it's it's tough because they're gonna call him slurs they're gonna call him homophobic things they're going to give them a bunch of shit and it could be very very tough because again it's it's the society uh thing that we've grown up with and so a lot of guys are like oh, it makes you a man if you drink and that's bullshit um so you know there's there's some differences there and of course guys are are targeted football games and everywhere you go um james bond you know oh i martini and 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 fancy scotch you see it all the time manly men come home from a hard day's work and they pour themselves a scotch it's like um they're they're definitely they're targeting both uh in a little bit different way but yeah it's 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 there for the guys too yeah no i think that's so interesting um especially that first point of i think a lot of the relationships that men have with each other or their other like male friends revolve around drinking because let's be honest, like men just don't talk about their feelings as much, mm -hmm. but maybe over a couple of beers and football, they might say, you know, like my girlfriend just broke up with me. Like I'm feeling sad. And that quote liquid courage is something they can use as a crutch. And if you remove the liquid courage, if you remove the, the nights drinking and watching football, when can you connect about these things? Whereas women tend to be, you know, of, of course, like there's still, Oh, well, my boyfriend just dumped me. Like let's drink a bottle of wine and cry about it. But at the same time, that can also be done over coffee. I, mm -hmm. and so in one of my first interviews, uh, my friends and I talked about just the notion of alcohol creating false sense of connection while also destroying real connection. And I think when you, you know, think of men and mean culture and the whole notion of, you know, like getting too drunk and sending text to your ex-girlfriend or, uh, you know, ending up in an alleyway, it's like some kind of bonding thing that you can allude to. But is that really bonding or is it just a way to feel like you're connecting when on reality, what you're connecting on is so unhealthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you bring up this point because my best friend of uh, 15 years, that's really all we did. You know, when we would get to we would never get together and not drink. It was like we're getting together. There's going to be alcohol involved. And so we were always drinking together. Um, and he's a really good friend of mine. But, you know. I, I look back on it and I go, well, did we really have a great friendship or was it just because we were we enjoyed drinking together and getting stupid drunk and doing stupid things together? You know, because since I've I've quit, I'm still friends with him. But, you know, what, what, all he wants to do is go out and drink. So it's kind of hard to like go and, and do something um, without drinking. So I, it is different when you decide to to stop drinking. Your life will change a little bit. And I think knowing that going in being aware of that and accepting it is is going to help people because you can't just expect to stop drinking and then go on about your life exactly the way it was things are going to change if you just hang out with drinking buddies uh, and that's all you do <clears throat> to socialize and go to bars and get drunk 
you're going to have to not do that, at least for a little while. You know, I still go out with my friends who all drink, by the way, and we still have a good time. You know, I just it's it's not like I got to sit there and um, and be like, oh, I wish I was drinking. It's just a different experience. Um, And we do get to know each other on a, a better level. Same with my wife. Like, you know, she also quit drinking after um, after I quit. And both of us, our whole relationship was built on us drinking. We met while we were drunk. We would sit on the couch and get drunk together. So I was like, well, what is this going to be weird, you know, um, not drinking? I, I was a little bit scared, uh, to be honest with you. But now we're both sober, which is crazy to think about. Um, and we communicate better. Our, our relationship is deeper because we're not just having drunken conversations. We're not hiding the stuff and, and drowning our sorrows, but we're really talking about stuff and, um, you know, getting to the bottom of things. So, yeah, things do change. Uh, there is definitely a culture around bonding with guys and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just when you quit drinking, you get to decide what your life looks like from that moment. You know, maybe maybe things will change and you're not going out getting drunk every Friday night. Maybe you're you're learning a skill on a Friday night. Maybe you're learning about yourself a little bit more, learning, you know, using that time to be productive and doing something with your life. I mean, in my case, that's what it was. I spent so much time doing nothing, just getting drunk and being unproductive and you can't get that time back. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to stress that like you can get your health back for the most part. You can make more money. You can do all these things when you get over alcohol, but you can never get that time back. Uh, And, and that's something that I want people to kind of realize like alcohol takes so much from you and time is one of the things that you just can't get back. Such a good point. And, you know, it's not only the Friday that you're actually consuming the alcohol, it's the Saturday and the Sunday that you're hungover. Like, I mean, after I turned 22 or 23, it was like no, no more, you know, half day hangovers, like only two day hangovers and more. So I think that's such an important point. Yeah, yeah, it it, it really and a lot of us don't think about it. But I did the math one time and I figured, okay, on average, I'm spending about six hours a day just literally sitting on the couch watching mindless TV that is stupid and I don't remember any of it. I don't care. Eating junk food uh, because I just don't care about my body. I'm just drunk. That's six hours a day. That comes out to three months out of a whole year of doing nothing except getting drunk. Wow. And, you know, when you become more and more addicted to alcohol, it's all you think about. When you're not drinking, you're thinking about drinking. And when you don't have a, a drink in your hand, you get kind of agitated or irritated. If you got to go to an event and there's not alcohol there, you're going, oh, God, this sucks. You can't really enjoy life. Um, and and so, yeah, I just, that's like three months out of a year you can get back, at least in my case. Uh, what could you do with that? And that's one of the things, you know, you talk about the benefits about when you quit drinking. Your world opens up. Opportunities start flowing in uh, because when when I was drinking, my world just got smaller and smaller and smaller that's all i think about thought thought about um and it became like my only hobby which is sad to say but since quitting drinking uh i've gotten to reconnect with who i am uh, at a deeper level uh, you know my soul my core uh and i started doing the things that i, I enjoy again um I've, I've built this business like i i love everything about it now and it, you know not waking up with that regret and that shame and that what did i say last night what did i do last night the hangover oh god i've never woken up since i've been sober and go god i wish i was drunk god i wish i was hung over right now yep. <laughs> you know it's so yeah such a good point so let's say i'm a new client and i'm coming to you because i want to break up with my with, with alcohol what are some of the first pieces of advice that you would give me Great question. So what I have people do is, you know, we really, first of all, I have them uh, watch my video modules on busting the myths about alcohol. Like we were talking, kind of talking about the wine thing and all and the anxiety and stuff. So really people can kind of get an understanding of like, oh, okay, that was kind of bullshit. Like that, that's not true. Really start changing their mindset around the alcohol. But then I, it's very important to get to the bottom of why you're drinking. So we do an exercise around that. Why do you want to drink? You know, if you don't have a strong enough why, it's hard to stick to it. You know, uh, our brain naturally tends to romanticize alcohol. And and the further we get away from it, we don't remember all the pain that it caused us and all the bullshit that it was in. We remember the good times about it. And so if we don't have a strong enough why, 
you know, that we have a little voice in our head. I call it the dark passenger. It's going to keep pulling us back to it. So we have to have a strong why. So I have them write that out. And then I have them create a bullshit list. I have them write down like all of the reasons they think they need alcohol in their life. You know, for me, it would have been, I, I need to have alcohol otherwise I can't sleep. Um, I'm socially awkward, so I can't be in situations without alcohol. You know, all these kinds of things to have to look at, to reference. And they'll go, oh yeah, that's that really is kind of bullshit. Uh, also having a plan, you know, what you're going to do in situations when you might feel the urge to drink or you might feel triggered. If you're going to go to a party, um, what are you going to tell people when they ask, you know, offer you a drink? What are you going to drink? Are there going to be non-alcoholic beverage options there? If not, are you going to bring your own? What's your exit strategy if you feel too uncomfortable? You know, going into something like that with a plan is tremendously helpful because if you don't, it's easy when somebody hands you a shot or a drink, maybe you've been sober for 20 days, and just hit that the F it button and go, all right, screw it, let's just do it. And then you're spiraling, right? But if you have a plan, you know, ahead of time, it, it can help. So those are some of the things that we kind of, we work on right in the beginning. I love that. I think that notion of a plan is so important. Like I was, I was struggling with the concept of like dating while sober because I can remember, I can count on like one hand, if that maybe like two fingers, the number of times I've been asked to do a first date, that's not getting a drink. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, if someone asks me, do I, do I tell them right away? Do I, you know, order Diet Coke once I get there? And like, just my mind was like running circles. And um, my friend who is like a dating coach says like a lot of people she knows who try to quit drinking, like their first slip up, so to speak, is going on that first date. Because as you said, if you don't have a plan, if you don't look over the menu beforehand, it's very easy to just be like, oh, I, I guess a glass of wine couldn't hurt. Um, yep. And so I think that's what you said of like, you know, having an exit strategy is all super crucial and I'm definitely going to brainstorm my own ideas for myself. And, uh, and then one thing I wanted to add and hear your thoughts on as well are like the concept of people feeling uncomfortable, like around people who don't drink when they themselves are feeling like they have to reevaluate their own relationship with alcohol. So, uh, for context, I live in Austin, Texas, although that's not where I am right this second. And Austin is literally called Neverland for a reason. People, all they do is, even though it's, you know, one of the most beautiful cities in terms of the landscape and the hiking and the bicy bicycling and all those activities you can do, so much of the social life revolves around going to 6th Street or Rainy and just getting absolutely obliterated starting at like 11 a.m. especially when the weather is so nice and when in the past when I've said oh I'm you know taking a break from alcohol or doing a dry January the response I always got was why like just take a shot it's my birthday come on or like just have one beer yep. and I think a lot of that pushback comes from people who themselves are feeling like, oh, if, if Zoe's stopping drinking and she, you know, own, she doesn't even drink that much, like, what does that say about me? And then they project yep. that insecurity back onto you to make you feel like you're the crazy one when in reality it's like maybe maybe you should look internally and be like, well, why does that make me uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah it absolutely is. It's like putting a mirror onto themselves and people don't want that. Um, and so when that happens, they can do one of two things. They can go okay, uh, that's awesome. I'm going to support you. And I'm going to maybe look at my relationship with alcohol. Maybe I want to do something about this. I'm inspired by what you're doing. Or they can do the easier thing, which our brains always take the path of least resistance. And they can go, I'm going to try to drag you back down here so I feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you might have some people in your life that try to do that for you. Um, and so that's why I always say, like, when you get sober, it's actually can be a gift. You'll, you'll find out who your real, true people in your life are. Because if they're trying to get you to... You can just have one. You're not that bad. If, you know, if they're not supporting you, that tells you what you need to know about that person, you know? So. Yep. Exactly. So one thing I am very bad at is cooking. And not only am I bad at it, but I just really don't like it. 
I know this is something I need to work on and I one day will, you know, really buy a bunch of cooking books and teach myself how to navigate a kitchen, but that day is not today. And so I am very thankful for Sakara because as a student with a part-time job and a um, podcast and a field placement, I don't have much time. And I know that's an excuse I was making when I had all the time in the world, but now I really don't have time. And so Sakara delivers fully prepared meals to your doorstep that are healthy, nutritious, and filling. So for someone like me who needs to literally have food placed in front of them in order to eat regularly and keep up with, you know, maintaining a health, both a healthy relationship with food and also just a schedule. Um, Sakara has been such a blessing and I am so lucky that I've been partnering with them for over two years now um, to provide you all with 20% off your first purchase. So if you're like me and are just not able to fit in time to, you know, make a meal or are ordering out every single day because it's easier but it's dropping so much money, give Sakara a try. The food's so good. I especially actually really love the breakfast. They have like really great muffins and things that um, are my personal favorite. And I also really, really love their probiotics. So two very different things, but you can order them all. Just use my code XOZOE. That's X-O-Z-O-E at checkout and I'll get 20% off your purchase. So give it a shot and let me know what you think. So I always wrap up with the same questions uh, kind of unrelated to what we've been talking about but always interesting to hear. Uh, The first question is what is one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? And I've now added the subtext of not including sobriety. (laughs) Okay, because that's what I was going to say, because it really is the best decision uh, I've ever made. Um, But besides that, it would probably be, um, you know, losing my parents and having to kind of, you know, go through that. It's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, But, you know, I've been on my own since I was 19. I don't have a big family like I it's there's no safety net. There's no you know, going back to mom and dad, there's nobody there to like get sage advice from, from an, an older generation, which again, for a long time, I used it as a story of like, oh, woe is me. Uh, but it's in a way made me a lot stronger because I've had to figure out everything on my own, you know? Uh, and so I'm resilient because of that. And so as much as that situation sucked, I think it did make me a stronger person. Absolutely. And, and again, I'm, I'm, so sorry about that loss but I think I I do believe in you know some afterlife and I'm sure they're really proud of everything that you've been doing and turning that pain and into purpose is is just so admirable yeah yeah thank you uh do you believe everything happens for a reason Hmm. yeah I think I do I mean I you know as I've gone on this journey not with just sobriety but really kind of reconnecting with myself um, learning how the brain works, how, um, to get what I want out of my life and, and mold it into the way that I want it rather than just being a passenger in life. Um, I've really connected with, uh, more spirituality and, uh, um, yeah, I really do. There's been so many instances where <laughs> I've just seen proof that it's like that happened for a reason. And, and I just have learned to trust the process, trust the universe that everything will be all right. Because when I got let go from Apple, uh, I, I didn't have a job. And that's when I decided to become a life coach. And um, I I went all in on, on this, even though I had no idea what I was doing. And I just kept believing in myself. I kept trusting the process. Um, I invested in myself by hiring life coaches uh, which was the best thing I ever did because they they taught me a lot of the things that I now use for myself uh, and with my clients. But for the longest time in my life, I was like, "Well, that's that's too expensive. That's everybody's trying to scam me." And and I just had my my antenna up. And now I realize, like, well, I was I was creating all of this myself, 
um, and to be open, open-minded more. And um, yeah, there's, there's no reason I should be here doing this today. If you would have asked me three years ago, would I be doing this? I would have said, there's no way in hell. Nobody knew I had a drinking problem. I kept it hidden very well. But the fact that I am, I feel more connected to the universe than I ever have. So in a, a long story longer, yes, I really do believe that <laughs> everything uh, happens for a reason. I love hearing people, diff like people's different perspectives on that question. It's always like one or the other and like super adamant. And, and I, I still am, am trying to figure out what I believe, but I definitely think a reason can be found in everything that happens. And, and, you know, as you said, you wouldn't be doing this life coaching path if you had still been at Apple and who knows, you know, where you would be, you'd probably be drinking. So it's, um, I, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said. Yeah. And there's been moments where like down to very little money in our bank account. And I'm thinking, am I selfish here? I have a wife and a daughter and I'm I'm going to start a whole new business on my own. I have no right to be doing this. Um, and something kept pushing me to do it. And there was very little money left and I was getting panicky. Like I got to go find a job. And then the very next day, something would happen where just enough money would be in there to be able to keep going. I mean, and this has happened multiple times. And so finally I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop fighting the universe. I'm just going to sit back and trust it. And I can't stress how important that is like for anybody listening to this to really just trust the universe in the process and, and it will work itself out. Love that. Uh, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? I do. There's a, I have a poster of it right uh, on the other side of the computer. And it's called, or it says, uh, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And that has been life-changing for me because it's easy to make the easy choices. Sit on the couch, watch TV, don't push yourself, eat crap food, and you're going to have a hard life. Your life is not going to be fulfilling. If you make the hard choices, going to the gym, you know, changing your relationship with alcohol, putting that time into your relationship, you know, doing the things that we don't always want to do that are a little bit harder, your life will become easier. And if you expect life to be easy, it's going to be hard. If you expect life to be hard, it actually becomes easier. I love that. It goes back to that notion of, you know, our brains want to do the path of least resistance. And and it's true. It's like if you put in the work, if you, you know, process that really traumatic event, if you go to the gym, if you stop drinking, yes, it might be hard in that moment or for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but the payoff will be so much bigger than, you know, the the price, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And, and most people, including myself previously, didn't want to do that. And it, it's it's so worth it. You got to put a little bit of sacrifice in at the beginning and then the rewards will come. Um, and our society doesn't want us to be that way. They They really don't, you know? So we have to fight this. We have to kind of go against the grain. The more normal you become, the less, the further away you get from your true self. So if you're doing everything that everybody else is doing, you're not really connecting with your true self. So just kind of, that kind of resonates in my head. And I wanted to share that. So I love that. Uh, next question is what do you love most about yourself? Oh, geez. <laughs> it um, always gets people. <laughs> just sad. It's, it a, in. it's a, it's a hard question to answer. And I, this is one of the questions I actually ask my my clients when we start. Um, what do I like most about myself? Love. <laughs> I would love. Okay. I love that I'm I'm honest. Uh I'm authentic. Uh, because for a long time I felt like I was wearing a mask and I had to be somebody else. And I I, I hated that. And now I just I'm gonna be honest with you always. And if you don't like the results, that's okay. But I hope people remember me when I'm gone as an honest, authentic person. Um, and and I also, if I can add another one, I love being a dad. I Aww. my daughter is the 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 best thing in the world for me, and um, I could be having the worst day ever, and I come home and she gives me a hug, and it's like it makes everything better. So I, I love being a dad too. <laughs> I see a picture of her behind you, and she's yeah, adorable. Sassy oh pants gosh. back there. <laughs> And that was a big so reason cute. why I quit drinking too, because my daughter started saying things like, dad, we got to go to the beer store. You're out of beer. Um, or, you know, she drew a picture of me sitting on the couch, watching TV with a drink in my hand. And I'm like, I don't want my daughter to see me like this. And 
going back to the fact that I, I lost my parents at a young age, I'm like, I don't, I know how painful it is. I do not want to voluntarily put my daughter through that losing her dad at a young age when I could do something about it. So um, yeah, that's, that's a strong pull for me right there. That's so powerful. And I mean, granted, I'm far away from having kids. Like it's not anything in the near horizon, but one of the things I thought about is just how I never want to make my future children feel less than and you know after a couple of drinks like parts that you say things that you don't mean in the moment and a two-year-old a five-year-old 10-year-old 15-year-old doesn't understand that as much and so if I can like whatever I can do to be the best mom I can be I want to implement now that's part of the reason I decided to become a therapist and not a reason I decided to cut out alcohol but it's something that I've thought about since doing so and I never want to get too drunk and yell at my child and so I think you know kind of going like in a a similar way to what you were talking about you know you don't want your daughter to associate you with being like a dad who just drinks um Mm -hmm. I think it also is just powerful of like every conversation you have with her will be coherent and clear and you and know, present in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And so my last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city and city can be Minneapolis or it can be, you know, whatever you consider to be your chaotic place. That's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Cause as if for the city, it's, uh, you know, I, I love, uh, the sports teams here. And so I love like the Vikings watching them, even though they just lost, but, um, uh, but finding, uh, and they lost to the giants, by the way, the New York giants. So, um, but how do I find peace, uh, would be, I meditate a lot. I, I slow life down. I stopped trying to race life and I started walking it, um, again, trusting the process. Uh, I'm just so much more patient than I used to be. So just taking the moment, the moments every day to connect with myself and ask myself, what do I need in this moment so that I don't go off the rails? Um, I don't step out of the boundaries. And if I need to go for a walk, I go for a walk. Um, if I need to take a long shower, I do that. I, I, I find solace in, in reading, in getting lost in a really good book and learning. I love learning and I got away from it so much when I was a drinker and I thought, oh, I'm done with school. I don't need to learn anything new. And since I quit drinking, man, I love learning stuff and then being able to share knowledge with with others. Um, I guess that would be kind of how I find solace. I love that. Chris, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Where can everyone follow you? Um, if they're interested in, you know, being a client of yours, how can they do so? Just plug everything. Yeah. So at Sober Coach Chris, and that's Chris with a C-H on basically all the socials. I do a lot of videos on TikTok. I'm on Instagram, um, Facebook. You can join my free Facebook group. It's called Freedom from Alcohol. And uh, my website is SoberCoachChris.com, which has links to all of these there. Uh, but if you if you go to my Instagram at SoberCoachChris or you go to my TikTok, there's a, a link there that will link you up to all the ways to get in touch with me um, and, and all of that. So at SoberCoachChris and you'll be able to find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again and bye everyone. See ya. Thank you.